Hello, family. Oh, come, let us adore him. That's why we've come, just to remind us to adore him, right? Are you guys ready for the good news? Yes. Me too, amen. Grab your Bibles then, open them up to the epistle of 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, that's going to be way in the back of your Bible. If you hit Revelation, you went a little bit too far, all right? 1 John chapter 3, we are, uh, actually we're in between uh, series right now, and so I thought I'd take a couple of weeks just to hit a few uh, topics um, and how the gospel of Jesus relates to these topics. And so today we're going to talk about the hope that the gospel gives us. Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. I just want to ask as you close your eyes, just draw in a deep breath right now. Heavenly Father, you give us the breath of life. You are a good God. We thank you for all your gifts, for being faithful to us, for giving us hope. There is hope in the cross. There is love that we can find in you. You love us no matter what we've done or where we've been. Thank you for loving us. And so, Lord, uh, we just admit today we come hungry, and I pray that you would feed us with this heavenly bread, which is your word. Uh, we come sick and disjointed, would you give us medicine? You have so many good things for us today if we would just stop and pay attention. Would you help us do that? Calm down our thoughts so that we can hear you. We ask it in the sacred name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, something that's pretty interesting about the human experience is this. We cannot function well without hope. Did you know that? Uh, Dr. Adam Stern from Harvard Help, he published an article just this past July um, on the power of hope. And the title of his uh, journal uh, or, or article was called Hope, Why It Matters. And here's what the good doctor said, quote, among young adults with chronic illness, greater degrees of hope are associated with improved coping, well-being, and engagement in healthy behaviors. It also protects against depression and suicide. Among teens, hope is linked with health, quality of life, self-esteem, and a sense of purpose. It is an essential factor for developing both maturity and resilience, 
close quote. See, hope does not have to do with our present circumstances or our present situation, uh, but rather with the future. Hope is future oriented. So once we start to believe that our future is bleak, once we begin to believe that there is nothing good for us to look forward to, we find we start feeling anxious, even fearful. We find that And maybe you've noticed this in yourself or people around you right now. We start to see signs of disengagement, you know, mentally checking out and even depression. And from there, our ability to function well progressively just grinds down. See, the truth is that we cannot function well or function long without hope in the future. And yet we quickly tire, on the other hand, we tire of hoping in things that do not materialize in the real world. Amen? This is what the doctor said leads to the disillusionment side of the equation. Uh, the classic example of this, of course, is the latest fitness trend or the uh, latest, latest diet book that are be, that published, they get published every year. Uh, claims are made about how you too can transform your body, your mind, your energy levels by following a particular meal plan uh, or an exercise routine for uh, as little as 12 weeks. It's just a summertime, right? And of course, before and after photos are even supplied of ordinary skeptical people just like yourself to prove that, see, anyone can change if you just apply yourself to this program, this diet. But even after diligently following the program for 12 weeks, you find you haven't been transformed. I mean, it may have worked for some people, but not all people. Well, at least not you. You must be weird. What happened? I'll tell you what happened in philosophical, theological terms. You had a particular, in this case, literally sometimes, picture of a preferred future. You had a vision of the good life that you were orienting and walking yourself towards. You understand what I'm saying? And we all live with this, whether it's spoken or unspoken. You had a particular future mind, a future where you were going to be changed. What happened? It did not materialize. It did not manifest itself. Your future self did not appear. And instead, what happened? Your, your hope was dashed. And every time that happens, we get a little bit more disillusioned, a little bit more cynical. The next time someone else comes along with good news, with the gospel. Again, Dr. Adam Stern's research is helpful. It's just so interesting how this lines up with God's word. He says, quote, when grounded in realism, hope serves many positive functions. Yet hope beyond the possible is a recipe for eventual disappointment and, there it is, disillusionment. Close quote. We all want to be transformed into the best version of ourselves. Can the church say amen? We all want to experience a glorious existence, right? Not a subpar existence, not an eek 
by day by day, white knuckling it into the next Saturday kind of existence, right? But on the other hand, we also don't want to become someone, uh, we, we don't want to hope in something uh, that, that, that might not materialize. Or worse, try to become someone that we're not. So what kind of future self can we confidently hope in? See, this is the this is the, the human condition, guys. And we're all on the horns of this dilemma. And this is exactly what the gospel of Jesus through the apostle John is speaking to us about today. See, the gospel of Jesus gives us hope. But this is it's a special kind of hope. Listen, please. The gospel of Jesus gives us hope that is relevant to our actual experience. It is compelling to our imagination, and it is effectual in our life. Let me say that again. The gospel of Jesus gives us hope that is relevant to our experience. It's compelling to our imagination and effectual to our life. That means it has an effect. It affects change. And we're going to look at each one of those pieces in turn. And first, the gospel of Jesus gives us a real hope because we currently experience discomfort. It's the discomfort of what I call, well, I'm calling spiritual splitness. Okay? That's how it's relevant to our experience. We currently experience the discomfort of spiritual splitness. It's here in verse 2. The whole sermon's two verses, all right? But there's a lot, like, crammed into these two verses. So let's look at it. Beloved... We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. What we will be has not yet appeared. The word there is actually like manifested or materialized before our eyes, okay? So John is telling the Christians something that is just unbelievably amazing. We are children of God. If you're in Christ, you are a child of God. We are his offspring, and God is our adopted father through Jesus Christ, his son. Because of the life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, a radical transformation of status has taken place in us. We have become the children of the divine. Just let that sink in for a second. That's what we mean when we say God, right? Divine being. And the good news is that this change of status has happened to us right now. The gospel is fundamentally, guys, it is good news, not good advice. Okay? It's news, like a news report. You remember the news back when there used to be news. It's a news report about something that happened in Tacoma, right? Or wherever, Friday at 4 o'clock. That's a news report. That's the gospel. It's news about something that has already taken place. Before Christ, the news story says, we were children of the devil. That doesn't mean you were bad. Like, that's how we throw that, like, oh, that's of the devil. Like, you're really evil, wicked, blah, blah, blah. No, he's just saying that's who your dad was. Spiritually, 
Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, and then we'll drop down and do 10, all right? There's a little pair here that John's saying. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. That's not an insult. He's talking about like family of origin stuff. Whoever makes a practice, no matter what they say, no matter if they got baptized, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Why? He gives you the reason. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. That's his very nature, in other words, right? But the reason that the Son of God, who's the Son of God? Jesus. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 10. By this it is, what's that word? Evident. This isn't a guess. By this is it, it is evident who are the children of God. We can know this. And who are the children of the devil? Here it is. Here's the test. Here's how you know. Here's the evidence, right? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Wow. See, John says that before you and I turned to Jesus, we made a practice of sinning. I mean, it just was like a ha- it was habitual. It was just kind of like how we function, just kind of how we did through, went through life, right? And he says that that is evidence that we act, no matter what we said, no matter a few good things that we might have done or even dropped into church once in a while, no matter what we said, it just says that was the evidence that we actually belonged to the devil. The devil was our daddy, in other words. It doesn't mean like we worshiped him and stuff. Just means we followed his pattern of living. It just means that we loved what he loved. And the devil loves me some me. They just love me some me. Right? That's all that means. I'm not talking about horns and pitchforks, guys. I'm talking about a way of being in the world. It means that we hated what he hated. And he hated righteous stuff. And we talk like he talked, and we live narcissistically like he lives narcissistically. That's what all it means. It's our pattern of sin proved that the father of lies was our father, not God the Father. But the good news is that now because of the hard work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we are children of God, and God is our Father. Our status has changed. Our family has changed. That's that's amazing, isn't it? You guys ought to smile about that. Okay, so what does it look like to be a true son of God then? Well, I don't know. I'm going to guess maybe we ought to look at the original son of God. I don't know. Like the original true son of God to find out what that looks like. So let's go to that, John 4.34. By the way, same apostle wrote John 4.34. Same, same guy. Jesus said to them, my food is to do. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. See, the thing that, here's what Jesus is saying. 
And he's making a pronouncement about himself, but we need to pay attention. The thing that gives, they're telling him, like, you need to stop and have some lunch. You've been doing a lot of ministry, and you take a pause, and he said, look, the thing that gives Jesus sustenance and energy and the deepest joy in life and will put a smile on his face and what makes Jesus wake up real early in the morning before the alarm clock goes off is what? Only doing what God wills to do and only doing what God wants done in the world. That thrills the Son of God. He gets excited about that. Gives him energy. Like a good old roast beef sandwich gives you energy when you're hungry. It perks him up. It energizes him. That is more important to the Son of God than eating food to survive. I've got to be doing this. I've got to know this and do this and say this, right? Why? Because God's his Father, and he loves his Father. That's why. And that's how you can tell if you're a true child of God, born again of Jesus Christ. Let's say before we move on to the main point, I think we ought to stop and pause and ask this really uncorruptible question. Is that me right now? Is that me? I can't answer that for you, but but we ought to ask this. Like if that is one of the marks that gives me confidence that I am a true child of God, then I must ask, is wanting what my heavenly father wants and doing what my heavenly father does and loving the things that my father loves the desire of my life? Like at all. I'm not saying perfectly. I'm just saying like, is that the deepest thing down there? Not every day. I'm just saying, is that, the, is that truly what like, you orient your life around or not? See, John assumes that it is. John assumes that that is that we desire this when he writes verses two and three. He's not assuming that it's not. He's assuming that it is. See, our greatest problem is that as as Christians, as people who are claiming to be born again and bear that name, the name of Christ, our greatest problem is that we are not currently experiencing that. Right. We are not living the way that we most want to live really deep down in our heart, if that's really what's deep down in our heart. We're not living that way all the time. And that bothers a true child of God, which is another way you can tell. It bugs me. Like, eventually, it gets around to bugging me. I'm not okay. You're not okay with that for weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and years and years. Does this make sense? See, it is a source, in other words, it is a source of existential discomfort that a child of God refuses to make peace with. We refuse to get comfortable with that discomfort. Listen, what all people want, wherever wherever you are on this God thing, Christian, non-Christian, what all people want is for our external life to match our internal life. We want that to be congruent and match up. Amen? Are you tracking with me? That's the desire of every person. And that is the only way we find deep peace in our soul as human beings. We want to live in a way that feels very natural and not forced or fake or exhausting. 
That's why we don't want to do more than 12 weeks on an exercise program. That's exhausting, right? That's not natural. And that's how we want to live, right? See, for the true child of God, we desire to live, get this, in a way that matches our new identity. We want to live in this world. We want to show up in a way that matches our new status. And we're trying to learn how to do that. But the problem is, is that we don't experience that right now. We know that, and we can quote those Bible verses, I'm a child of God, but we don't actually like experientially know that fully yet. And John says in, uh, John says in chapter 3, verse 2, he says this, what we will be, a completely whole child of God, a person whose external world lines up with their real internal world. What we will be has not yet appeared. He's naming real life. Don't you love the Bible? It actually is very real about life and honest. John puts his finger precisely on the problem that we're all experiencing. It's called spiritual splitness. We are often thinking, if we're honest, we're often thinking and acting and loving and responding incongruently with our true self. I'm not saying like constantly 24 hours a day. I'm just saying often, okay? And this, listen, if we'll be honest, that's discouraging, is it not? Doesn't that get, get under your skin and bug you? It's discouraging at best, and it feels uncomfortably fake at worst when that goes on long enough. Amen? Amen? See, here is the crisis point. The Bible said it thousands of years ago, and, and the doctor from Harvard said it just in July. <laughs> A person can only handle living in that splitness for so long, and then something's got to give. Are you hearing me? This is serious stuff, guys. This is not academic. God's talking today. This deep discomfort, this inner outer world splitness can eventually make us question if this whole child of God thing is really for me. I mean, is this really what I want anymore? Because it doesn't seem to be working for me. It doesn't seem to be who I really am. I don't seem to be really transformed like the gospel told me I was. And my pastor told me I was every week. Like the promises of the leadership gurus or the fitness gurus, we start to think, we start to think, hey, the gospel very well may transform some people. It just doesn't work on me. I mean, I say that I want to do the will of my father more than anything, but then I do what I want. I say I want to know God more and more, but I don't actually hate my sins when he points them out. I don't have a hatred for that. Uh, I don't actually pray unless I'm in a church service. I don't really like read his word because I don't really love it. I don't care to know what he says. And I'm tired of all this discomfort. 
I get discomfortable when I feel when I come here or go there in these religious situations. It's uncomfortable for me. It's discomfortable. And I'm tired of how unnatural my life as a Christian feels. So maybe I should start wanting a different life. At least then I won't feel hypocritical and split. You see, guys, in order for hope to be helpful, and this is something we really need to understand. We don't really truly understand what hope is, but in order for hope to actually be helpful in a person's life, it must be relevant to our actual situation, right? I want you to see how helpful the gospel of Jesus is because it reaches down into the deepest, darkest, most difficult part of being a human. You see that? And that's how you can know it's helpful. But it's also compelling to our imagination. It's compelling to our imagination because we, it says, the gospel of hope says that we will experience spiritual wholeness in the future. We will experience spiritual wholeness in the future. Let's go back to verse 2. We're going to emphasize just the second part of this verse. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know. I'm going to, we're going to acknowledge this part, right? That's a reality, but we know. What do we know? That when he appears, we shall be like him. Oh, and how do you know that? Because, because we shall see him as he is. There's a lot to unpack in that part. Though we are a child of God, we don't always experience the fullness of being a child of God in life. And John wants us to know, and he's letting us know, that it will not always be this way. By pointing our eyes forward to the future. It is true, the best is yet to come for the Christian. You see, hope is always about what lies ahead of us. Faith is about today, hanging on for today, and hope is about tomorrow. And Pastor John here tells us one thing that is certain about the future, your future and my future. He's, he basically comes to us and he says this, hey, don't worry. I know, what you're, I know you're experiencing this splitness and it's deep, but don't fret about it. When Jesus appears again, we shall be like This is not a hopeful wish dream type stuff, okay? John says this is a certainty. He says we know. Not we're highly probable. He says this is a certainty. Now listen, we're not going to be identical to Jesus, but we will be like Jesus, he says. In what way? I'm glad you asked. Like this. Like a child of God whose food is to do the will of the Father all the time. Hey, hey, you're going to be like that. So you better get ready. I hope you like it now, because if you don't like it now, you're going to hate it then. Whoa. 
whoa, let's like it now because that's the way it's going to be forever. If you don't like it now, you may not like it forever and ever and ever. I'm, I'm going to leave that rabbit trail for another sermon. Here's your hope, brothers and sisters, and here is my hope. This is that anchor that we were singing about. You know, anchors are made out of strong material, right? Here's the anchor. You ready? While we struggle with our spiritual incongruency a few more years, we will be like Jesus one day, fully. You and I will be fully ourselves. Not merely a better version of ourselves. We will be the best version of ourselves. We'll be the version of ourselves that we've longed to be for years and years. From top to bottom, from inside and out, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, even on holidays, even in our sleep, we will live fully and finally like children of God. Let me put this another way. One day, it will be completely effortless to be us. Now, I know that's true, but man, isn't that beautiful too? You see how powerful beauty is? Listen, let me put it this way. It will be the most natural, non-hypocritical experience in the universe for you to be you all the way, all the time. Isn't that great? I mean, that just makes me breathe a little easier now thinking about it. I mean, is that, is that not a compelling future for your imagination to imagine? Isn't that compelling? Doesn't that draw you? I mean, it's exciting just to try to imagine that, amen? And guess what? That's the point. You're supposed to imagine that. So go on and dream about that, of all the things you dream about. Dream about that. Isn't that good news? You're supposed to try to imagine what that would be like. John also says to us, we know. He's that phrase, we know, right? We know this future is going to happen. Now, that's a bold statement for any other person to make, right? Because the future is pretty uncertain to us. But remember, John is an apostle, right? He didn't make a big deal out of it in his epistle, but he's an apostle, what do I mean? Like he literally walked with the historical Jesus. Just let that blow your mind for a second. He literally walked next to the actual historical Jesus Christ of Nazareth, right? That means that he literally ate meals with Jesus. This guy, this guy writing this was taught by Jesus. Saw him crucified and saw him, get this, in his literal physical glorified, resurrected body with his own eyeballs. That's the guy writing this. Okay, let's not forget that. What is the basis for his certainty? How, where does he get off saying we know? Okay, 
How can he say we know about this future? Here's how the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which he saw with his own eyes, and he touched him with his own hands. That's how he knows. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, he had the same body that he had before he died because he was recognizable. And yet, it was also completely different. It was exactly the same and completely different at the same time, right? In substance, it was glorified, right? Okay, let, let me put it this way. It was the best, highest 4K quality version of himself, of his body. You see where I'm going with this? Jesus will never die again. Why? Because he's in his best body. He's still a man. He's still in his body. He didn't die. He can't die again because the bodies that he in, is in cannot be affected by sin or corruption or death or any of that stuff. Listen, how can you and I be sure that we will be fully ourselves and it will be just natural every day to be ourselves, to be a child of God? Why? Never needing to upgrade to our body, never needing to realign our inner desires with our outward behaviors. Here's how, because Jesus rose from the dead and John says we will be like him when we see him as he is. When he manifests in what he is, we're going to manifest. You know what that means? It means that the future that you and I are currently walking towards is not a future of I hope it's so and wishful thinking and wouldn't it be great. That's not the future you're aiming your life at if you're aiming your life that way. And if you're not, you should change that. And aim your life at this, because this is actually going to happen. And you may not actually get that boat or the house or whatever else you're aiming your life at. But this is going to happen, okay? It means the future that we're walking towards is not one of wishful thinking. And by the way, it's not a future based on some very like vague and general sense of like a utopian world, okay? Our hopeful future is based on a historical event. And by the way, a really specific person that could, like people could see and hear and touch. Details. This picture has some details. Isn't that great? It's not based on invisible dogma. Our hope is based on someone physically real who's gone before us and he's experienced what we will experience. And this is to quote the Apostle Peter, our living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And lastly, this, this hope is great because this hopeful future causes us to strive for and celebrate progress now. This hopeful future, it's effectual. It has a, an, is a cause and effect. It has an effect on you and me. If we really hold on to this, should cause us to strive for and celebrate progress right now. And that's in verse 3. And he says, and. So if verse 2 is true, then here's the conclusion. Verse 3. Okay, Everyone who thus hopes, that's the only time that John uses this word, by the way, in, the, in, in any of his epistles. Paul uses it all the time. John uses it one time right here. He's making a big point about hope. 
in everyone who thus hopes, this hope, right, in him, purifies himself as he is pure. So whoever has thus hopes like this, something's going to happen to that person. They're going to purify themselves. And that's how you can tell if you have this hope or not, or if your hope is in something else. Now, we'll break this down. The purpose of hope is what? Just to make you kind of feel good? No. It's way more useful than that. The purpose of hope is to affect us to respond accordingly. It's supposed to have an affect on us, right? John has given us in this verse right here, uh, verse 2, he's given us this glimpse into our own future, our future glorification, even as Christ was glorified, right? He gave us a peek. He gave us a window. He opened the window and he shut the window real quick. And we got a glance. We got a peek. We have had a taste in verse 2 of how Jesus will share his glory with us, sinners like us. It's amazing. It's good news, right? When he returns, Jesus will completely transform us of all people into children of God, just as he is. He's the son of God, right? He's still the son of God. So in other words, we will experience integrated wholeness as humans forever and ever, never ends. World without end. We will be totally children of God and not one speck of us will be children of the devil. And John has brought that very certain future forward to us for just a moment. And we, and we rejoice in that future, amen? That's why we gather every seven days to worship. We reenact the gospel every week. That's what we should be doing. And what's interesting I find is that this verse, this one little verse, it's real compact, but it's reminiscent of another event that happened. It's reminiscent of, of the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you see it? The Mount of, Transfigura Mount of Transfiguration. Say that five times real quick. right? Which, by the way, John the Apostle was a witness to. He was there, right? Peter, James, and John were the three that got selected to go up to the Mount with Jesus. Remember that? All right. So what happened? They personally experienced the glory of God. For, for a moment, right? Open window, shut window from heaven to earth, right? What happened? They go up there, and the glory, it says the glory of God came down on a mountain. And it says that it transformed Jesus, right? Now, remember that? It says it changed his appearance. Transfigured. It transformed Jesus. He, was, he looked one way before he went up that mountain. He looked different afterwards. How did it transform? It says that his clothes became pure white and it was like light, blinding light was coming out of his clothing. And these three guys saw that with their own eyes. And God speaks. In the glory cloud of glory, God speaks. And God says what? Of all the things God could say, what does God say? This is my son. That's not an accident. This, you see this picture? That's a son. That's a child of God. That's my son. 
He's not just showing off. He's not doing like a great party trick for the office party. He's saying something, okay? It's show and tell. This is my true son. And what's Peter want to do? He didn't know what's going on. He's lost his mind. He just knows he feels really, really good in the glory of God. He's glad he's not dead, right? He's like, so let's like build three shelters and just like, let's just live up here. Let's just live in your glory, God, right? That's what he wants to do. He wants to just build a shelter on the mountain and stay there forever, basking in the pure overspray of the glory of Jesus being a true, true son of God. Just the overspray of Jesus being revealed as a true son of God is enough for Peter. This feels great. Wow, right? But Jesus says, now we're going to go down the mountain and we're going to live life down the mountain. We're going to live, I want you, I want you guys to live in light of that taste of glory. Because that's what's coming to those that endure to the end. Jesus knows that that taste of transformation is enough to sustain them until the final resurrection. See, John is saying it's the same way with us. All of that has been crammed into one verse. <laughs> He's saying the same thing for you and me, brothers and sisters. If your certain hope is that you are eventually going to be a whole person, not a split person, a whole integrated person in your whole being, you will fully experience being a child of God one day. If that's your certain hope, then that hope, and that's glorious, right? then that hope of glory will cause you to start walking towards that reality right now. You'll want to walk closer to that experience as close as you can get right now. You don't want to wait. That is what Paul means. This is John's way of saying what Paul says. They're all saying the same thing. The Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? You want to get closer and closer to that experience, not farther and farther and farther away. God has not given you and I, family, a hopeful certain future just so that we might take a quick glance at it from time to time, but then go back to continuing delivering this miserable, disjointed, disintegrated life. You know, sometimes I'm a child of God and sometimes I'm a child of the devil. And sometimes I get the bear, and sometimes the bear gets me, you know? He didn't want us doing that, grit and white knuckling our way through all that. Hopefully I die and God takes me to heaven. No, that's not why he gave you a picture. The glory that we've seen and we've tasted is supposed to affect our behavior right now. It's supposed to affect us. It's supposed to be effectual. We should change what our affections are and desires and emotions are, what we like and love and want, right? We want to experience all that we can of, of our future ahead of schedule. I just don't want to wait till I die, right? I want to drive that life right now. We want to practice living fully as children of God who love one another right now. Why? So that will be prepared for what's coming forever. Because we're going to be doing that forever all the time everywhere. We might as well get proficient in it right now. And practiced. And find out if we really like that or not. 
So let's apply it. Let's look at this verse one more time. And again, we're going to see the power that hope has, gospel hope, to change our lives. Look at verse 3 again. 1 John 3, 3. He says, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself. That's us. We don't purify Jesus, right? (laughs) Like he's pure. So if you hope in him, then you're going to purify yourself as he is pure. Now check this out. We need to get real clear about something. This word purity here, purity does not mainly mean moral. That's what it means in like American fundamentalism kind of Christianity. Right? You got to be pure. That means you got to be, be good and moral and don't say bad words and watch the bad movies. You know, that's being pure and moral, right? Now, that is an inevitable byproduct of purity, but that's not really what the word pure means. Don't kill me. I want to explain it. Purity, it's really simple. Purity just means one. That's the actual definition of pure. Did you know that? It means one. Whole. No mixture. When you buy a wool scarf and it says it's made of pure wool, what does that mean? There's only one thing it's made out of. Wool. Otherwise, it'd say what? Wool blend. (laughs) Right? It's 100% wool if it's pure wool. One thing. One. United. Whole. Nothing else is mixed in that's impurifying that wool sweater. That's what pure means. The morality is just the byproduct of that. To be a pure person, it's simple. It simply means that you are whole. You're a fully integrated human being. Internally and externally, you're not a polluted mixture. You're not saying one thing and doing something different. That's the polluted mixture part, right? Jesus, he's our example. Once again, he's our example again. Jesus is pure. I mean, yeah, he's moral, but he's pure in the sense that what? He's the son of God from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He's the son of God and nobody else's, right? He's all the way the child of God, right? Completely in every aspect of his being. The way he shows up on earth, the way he shows up in a room, he just shows up as a child of God completely, right? That's what John means, that he's pure. So John says this. Let's back up. John says, listen, if we believe that this hopeful future is truly ours, that we're going to be a full child of God, completely whole, if that's really the future we believe in, then it will cause you and I to respond accordingly. It should adjust things. It means that we'll strive towards that wholeness that we're going to experience fully one day. We're going to say, huh, how can I walk closer to that? How can I, what do I need to pick up to do that so that I'm going to encounter that? It means that we will remove our old way of living that's passing away and we're going to progressively put on the Jesus way of living. The gospel is against earning, but it is not against effort. It propels, the hope propels that from the inside. You understand what I'm saying? But not only that, but this hope should also cause you and I to celebrate progress right now. And not beat, don't beat yourself up so much. Listen, perfection's not our goal. 
Okay? Perfection's our prize. It's our reward that Christ has earned for us and given to us. That's the tr- it's our trophy. Progress is our goal, not perfect wholeness. You've been guaranteed the perfect wholeness. So what? Here's what. So when your desire to become more, when, you do des- when your desires in your heart do start changing, and you do desire to be more like the things that Jesus desired while he was on earth. Celebrate it. Even though all your desires aren't there yet, celebrate the ones that are. That's okay. You hear me? Celebrate them. They will be transformed one day. They'll all be there one day. Just a little bit at a time. It means that when you begin to hate your sin, more and more than before, celebrate that. Even though you don't hate them all yet, you will. You'll be transformed. So celebrate. Yes, we press on toward the prize. That sounds a lot like Paul, right? These guys are saying the same things, just different words to grab us. Yes, we press on toward the prize of being a whole person, a full top to bottom, inside and out, unified child of God, of course. But we strive toward it with certainty that it is already ours. It has already been secured for us. We strive toward it, in other words, listen guys, with excitement that we'll get there. As Paul said in Philippians, I am sure this, that he that began a good work in you will complete in the day of Christ. That's what he says. When you see him, You'll see yourself. You see what I'm saying? They're saying the same thing. And and by the way, the way we do this is we celebrate it. We celebrate that from time to time. We should celebrate. What is something in another brother or sister that you could celebrate? Man, God is changing you. In your kids, God is changing that desire. I've noticed a little change. Celebrate that from time to time, what God is changing in us. That's what gives us endurance to finish. It's good to have a to-do list, but have a to-done list too. Like, okay, I did that a little bit. (laughs) I did do that a little bit. Praise God. Oh, God bless you guys. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, full of good news. Help us believe, receive, accept this gospel hope. Encourage those of us that have been beat up and beat down and need to hear this. Lord, mend those that are feeling discouraged and disillusioned. Lord, this is the future we're walking towards. If we truly be in Christ, this is you. This is, this is what you have for us. And so, Lord, would you, just, would you let that get down into our imaginations? Would you help us picture what it would be like to fully and finally be us? That, that that might make some changes right now. It's in the sacred name of Jesus we pray. Amen.